0: Colossians 3, verses 18 and following. Hear the word of our God. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, knowing the Lord. Sorry, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the Lord will receive the from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bond servants fairly and justly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. Glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we might know you better. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and your incomparably great power for those of us who believe. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. The other day I had to run an errand, and so I found myself in Walmart. Don't you love when you find yourself in Walmart? You just never know what's going to happen at Walmart. <clears throat> and I was sort of by the produce section, and it got a little noisy. Because there was a couple, I guess, it must have been the grandparents, because they seemed to be quite much older than I would expect parents of this child to be. But they kept saying something simple like, Please come here. To which she would respond, No! And it didn't, you know, as the outward observer kind of looking on at this thing, it wasn't as if she was uh, mesmerized by something in particular, like she wanted to grab something. She was just sort of standing there, not really facing anything except the grandparents, but continuing to this refrain of no, each time she was beckoned into their presence. We would look at this and go, feel bad, I think, for the grandparents. As the, as the little grandchild makes a scene and is disobedient. It happens. If you're parents, you see it probably every day. That word comes out, no. Or perhaps it's not just a word, maybe it's just the fact that they don't do what they have been told. It makes me ponder what living like the gospel is real looks like for kids, and Paul sort of addresses that. Right here in this text. Our big idea this morning is that Christ helps believing kids obey their parents. So, if you're one of those people who lives at home, who's not quite as tall as me, although Aaron is probably now taller than me, this is for you. But the rest of us who are Christians also have to remember we have a Father in heaven. And so this applies to us. We are his children. So what I'm about to say doesn't just apply to the little people in the room. It applies to all the people that are in the room. Let's start with the idea that Christ places kids under the authority of their parents. In the Hebrew family, as you kind of go through the Old Testament, what you basically pick up is the idea that, Uh, Children were under their father's authority until marriage. Why is marriage kind of the key point? Well, Genesis chapter 3. For a man shall leave his mother and father, both parents, not just one of their parents, uh, both of them if they're still alive and shall be united with this one woman. They'll be of one flesh. And so in the Hebrew family and how it functions, marriage was a significant thing because you moved outside of the authority of the parents, and now you created your own family and authority. It was not quite that way in the Greco-Roman world, however, which is more like what we see in the church in Colossae because they were in Asia Minor. They were very much influenced by the Greco-Roman world. And for the Romans in particular... When it comes to sons, you never left the authority of your father until he died. If you were a daughter, you left his authority when you married off into a different family. And so William Barclay, one of the great commentators, mentions that the power of the Roman father extended over a child's whole life as long as the father lived. A Roman son never came of age. And so the paterfamilias was always the authority over his son. So what would happen with this new life in Christ? You know, Is Paul going to affirm the Greco-Roman way of doing things? Is Paul going to reaffirm the, the Hebrew way of doing things? Is Paul going to affirm a completely different way of doing things? What would happen? How does Christ change things? Well, Paul here is addressing children. It's a key word. You include boys and girls. He's not using the word infants. You know, when we talk about pado communion, or not sorry, pado communion. We don't talk about that here. Pado baptism. <laughs> okay, that pedo You know, that's infant. Okay, this is the different word. This is not that. So this includes older children. It can include adult children. Because it just talks about the fact that you are a child of somebody. Does it refer to the age uh, that you have? Okay? So Paul speaks Children, obey your parents. Paul here is th- affirming the general authority structure that we see in the Old Testament that of parents. Not just fathers, but parents. He affirms the fifth commandment because the fifth commandment says, Honor your father and mother, not just your father. He's affirming what we just heard about from the book of Proverbs, where it's, you know, heed your father's instruction, listen to your mother's instruction, not just your father's. You are to listen to both of them as they speak, so that you might gain wisdom from both your father and your mother, because husbands and wives are in a situation of king and queen So anyway, the child is under the authority of both parents, not just one parent. So Amy can say, tell the kids what to do. She enjoys that authority, so to speak. That word obey is an interesting sort of word. It comes from the root word to listen or to hear. Okay? What was going on in Walmart is that this little girl heard her grandparents. Okay? She heard them. But that's not all that obedience is. It starts with hearing, but this word has that idea of listening under because it's a compound word. They've got this other part stuck onto it that has the idea of listening under. And so to obey is to listen as though you are under authority so that the person who is speaking has the right and the power to command you to do something, and you act as and listen as one who recognizes that authority and lives under that authority. That's what that little girl at Walmart wasn't doing. She was listening, but she was speaking as if she was autonomous as though she had a, her own authority to say no to these people, as though somehow she was the peer of her grandparents. Well, maybe she was their peer. Maybe they were just random people. I, 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 you know, No, they weren't random people. She was under that authority structure, and she was resisting that authority structure. And so the, what we see, you know, if we kind of look back from this command and see kind of the, the breadth of Scripture and, and, and what the point really is, is that the proper response to authority is meant to be learned in the family when we're children. Friends of ours just adopted two kids from Uganda. She got back with them this past week, and she noted that Their son, their older son, who's also named Elijah, apparently was running up and down the driveway yesterday going, obey mommy and daddy. Obey mommy and daddy. And her comment was, "Now only he would do that. (laughs) He got it in theory. And he was boasting about it in theory. But there was something a little missing in the practice, as there is for all of us. This is something to be learned. It's not something that happens automatically. It's its not something that uh, even I have mastered, um, as Amy will quickly attest. Um, but it's something that is supposed to be taking place, and it's supposed to be learned in the earliest years of our lives. While part of the household, even adult children probably, should obey their parents. That was one of the things that um, I... I read Doug Wilson's little book on, on uh, courting when I was single. I was kind of like, well, this sounds great in theory, but when am I going to meet a woman who lives at home with her parents? I'm in my 30s. How many women exist like that? Okay. If you're living at home with your parents, you probably should listen to them. But they should also remember that you're an adult, and those commands should be very few. We'll get to that next week. Remember what I've talked about the, the barbells, okay? This is only one side of the barbell when it comes to the family, parents and children. Uh, next week, we'll get to the other half of it. But we should recognize that there is some authority that takes place while we still live at home with our parents. Um, Paul qualifies this an extent, to an extent, not really. He says to obey them in everything. Not just when it, when it talks about, you know, obey them with regard to God's law, but also obey them when it comes to other things. Because there is that larger command, honor your father and mother. And so when your parents speak to their children and they make commands of them and, and issue commands, they're really speaking in a sense for God. The parent, the child needs to remember that this is God's representative over me at this period in my life. And so, even though it's not something that's directly tied to God's commands, like thou shalt not kill, which is a good thing for children to remember. Okay? Your siblings can annoy you greatly. You should not kill them. Right? But it also includes things like social conventions. You know? In our house, we, we talk about how when, when we have visitors over, you probably shouldn't burp at the table. That's a social convention. In some cultures, that's a, that's a, that's a sign of praise to the cook. In America, it's not. So we teach our children social conventions, and they should obey these social conventions. They should also obey household rules. There are certain things that, that may not be general in culture, but be specific to your family. Right? Children in all of these things, should increasingly learn to obey their parents. Now, this obviously is going to rub against the child's will and the child's wishes. And that's really what the issue of obedience is about. Obedience is not about really when you're in agreement with a, a, an authority figure. Obedience is really about when you're at cross-purposes with an authority figure. What are you going to do in those moments when you disagree, when you have different agendas, when you have different priorities? What's going to happen when you're at cross purposes? And so in childhood, we're meant to learn that we are not to fight and get our own way. But we're to learn how to obey, because when we become adults, even if we're under no earthly authority whatsoever, which only happens if you live on a deserted island, by the way, um, at some point you are going to come at cross-purposes with God himself. And the question is going to be, which way will you go? And that's what Proverbs is about. It's this idea... Those of you who aren't familiar with Proverbs, the background of Proverbs, it was essentially an instruction manual for men coming of age. Okay, that's why you see sons, not daughters mentioned. It's usually it was written specifically for young men that they might learn wisdom. Okay, and the first part of that, of course, is conversion. But that idea of when you're at the cross purposes, when you're at that crossroad, you take God's road, not your own road. And that is something that is intended to be learned in a more controlled, easily dealt with environment of childhood. Some of us, like me, never learned that in childhood, and we had to learn it as adults. When it's far more painful, the consequences are far greater for failing to learn this. And so... Children are meant to learn this quiet obedience to God by, by learning quiet obedience to his representative, of the parents. And so something like Philippians 2, verse 14, fits into this one that we sometimes mention in our household. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish. And the verse goes on. But that that idea that quieting ourselves in submission and obedience and trust as opposed to clamoring for our own way. This is the path of discipleship or gospel practice for the younger members of any church and family. And so Christ expresses his lordship over covenant children through their parents. Secondly, kids obey to bring glory and And joy to Christ. That's really where Paul is going to go here. And in Ephesians 6, which is the parallel passage. And there's a lot of... The first part of it is in common. Children, obey your parents. Okay, And then he goes in slightly different directions in those two passages. But there's a lot of commonality there. The main point. The motives... For obedience are important. Here we're, we're kind of talking about the why should a child obey? Why should me, an adult child of God the Father, obey? Okay. Too often parents can communicate the wrong motives to obedience. I can do that sometimes. I think all of us parents, in our, in our frustration, we can do that. Let's focus on the right motives for obedience. Okay. Paul says, this pleases the Lord. In other words... He's he's talking about Jesus here. Jesus is delighted to see his people obey legitimate authority. That's not really something that we tend to think a whole lot about, but that's what Paul wants us to think about. It delights him when we're obedient. Now, let's not get into trouble here we're not talking about justification by obedience, you know, we're not talking about earning our acceptance with God because of our obedience. That's not what's going on here. But as Christians, we should know that our obedience matters, that God is not nonchalant about whether or not we disobey. We're saved by grace, we're kept by grace, it's all by grace, and yet We Remember, we're also responsible, and God treats us accordingly. And so when we we disobey, he is displeased, and when we obey for the right reasons, he's pleased. That shouldn't be a scandalous thought. No earthly father is pleased when his children disobey. They don't go, yeah, I'm glad my child's learning to question authority. He's listening to them bumper stickers. I'm excited when my child does that. No, no parent does that. We're, that's heartbreaking at times when our children are disobedient. And so it pleases him. What is it about obedience that pleases him? Well, if we keep this within the context of what we've been reading already in Colossians chapter 3, we see that obedience preserves the peace of Christ, and obedience observes the word of Christ, And Christ delights in both of those things. He delights in that peace because he purchased it, and he delights in his word because he spoke it through the Spirit. And so when these are observed and maintained, it brings him joy and delight. He's pleased to see his people rejoice in the same things that he rejoices in. And so he loves a harmonious, loving household precisely because it adorns the gospel. And what's so offensive about that little child there in Walmart? I mean, when it's not our kid, we might think it's cute. Might. Okay, But what they're doing is that child is breaking the peace of Christ within that family unit. That child is breaking the word of Christ that he speaks to that family unit. And so that creates both disharmony and rebellion and the strain in the relationships. But the positive that we want to remember, this keeps these things. Not only that, but there's the third thing, the, the name of Christ. Obedience also brings honor or glory to the name of Christ in whom we each have eternal life. And so one of the reasons why Christ delights in obedience is that It brings glory to his name. We'll get to how he obeys a little bit later. But this is what we see from the larger context here in chapter 3. Secondly, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, instead of this pleases the Lord, he says, This is right. Meaning, this is righteous, uh, sorry, righteous or virtuous. I almost did the same thing I did with the Trinity hymnal at the last worship planning meeting. I called it the triminal. So we've, you know, we've got a new word, triminal, and now we have uh, righteous. Um, <laughs> please, let's not have a new word. <laughs> All right, anyway. It's, it's virtuous, it's righteous, meaning it, it lines up with God's law. That children would obey their parents. And so this is, a, this is a good thing. The command of the law, which is seen in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, honor your father and mother, as we've already mentioned. It's an, it's an you know, this obedience is in line with this. And essentially, it's how do little children or bigger children show they honor their parents? One way is obedience. John Calvin notes, Obedience is the evidence of that honor which children owe to their parents. Now that changes when parents age. The dynamics have to change. We won't talk about that, but I'm acknowledging that fact. Proverbs 23 Verse 26, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. And so part of what Proverbs would understand to mean, to mean honoring your father would be to give him your heart. Now that sounds strange to us. Shouldn't we only be giving God our heart? But as his representative, the children are to be giving them his heart to shape and to mold Their eyes are to observe the Father's ways, to recognize that which is right, and to begin to walk in them. And so we we treasure and value our parents, which is what that word honor means, to treasure something or to value something, to place something in high esteem. We treasure them when we value their instruction, when we submit ourselves to them, and what that little girl in Walmart was saying to her grandparents is, I don't treasure you. I don't value you, at least as much as I value me. There's a limit to how much I'm going to treasure you. And that limit is when you tell me to do something that I don't want to do. So... Part of what we see here. Obedience values one's parents and therefore one's God and Savior over oneself. And so Christ intends to gain glory and delight by helping children obey their parents, which gets us into that last part. That Christ helps kids who believe in his power and his promise. Let's talk about how he helps people to obey. Ultimately, our obedience to parents is not about parents. We talked about this with husbands and wives. Ultimately, it's not about your husband. It's about Christ. And it's the same way here. I don't think anyone here had perfect parents. Did Anybody here have perfect parents? Oh, Amy raised her hand, but she was just stretching. <laughs> You've got to time those better. <laughs> yeah, no one here had, had perfect parents, but some of us had worse parents than others. Okay, I am far from a perfect parent. Um, sometimes I, I feel like I should get the Bad Parent of the Universe award. Um, I, I don't know if my kids think the same thing. They still love me, even though I'm not perfect. That's good. We'll get to that next week. Okay? But John Calvin notes that you have the parents that you have by the providence of God. And so you're not accidentally or by chance had the parents that you had. It's God's will and purpose that you were in that particular family for all that's good about it and for all that's bad about it. And there's going to be bad because every parent is a sinner. As I said, sometimes just worse than others, Jesus had earthly parents, didn't he? They were sinners. How did Jesus respond to those earthly parents? We read in Luke chapter two after his uh, after he got lost, so to speak, at, at the temple he he knew exactly where he was and where he was supposed to be, but his parents lost track of him. And uh, you know, sometimes other, our children might think that's the case with them, but it really isn't. So anyway, after this event at the temple, it says that he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Think about that for a second. Jesus is the eternal Son of God, With all power and authority and and wisdom, knowledge. He's being parented by two finite, fragile, sinful people. And he submits to them, he obeys them. He keeps the fifth commandment, for us. Uh, You know, all of us have broken that commandment. Jesus kept that commandment. And that's part of the, the, the joy of the imputation of his righteousness is that our record when we come to faith is not that we're disobedient to our parents, but he gives us his righteousness, which includes the fact that he obeyed his parents, his earthly parents this same Jesus not only gives us that righteous record, but he's able to help us to learn to obey earthly parents because he did it. He walked it. He can help us. And boy, do we need help. Let's go back to that phrase that Paul used here in Colossians. Obey them in the Lord. That idea that... that, that We are to live out this obedience in the sphere of grace. That children themselves are called to faith in Christ. That faith which unites them to Jesus Christ and therefore all of His resources, all of His power, all of his wisdom in other words this is a call for them to be to live as the new man in Christ as opposed to the old man in Adam who is rebellious against God this is meant to be seen within that context that idea and so children must not just learn rote obedience but what they need to learn is to trust in Christ To trust him that the command is good. To trust him for the power, the strength, the ability to obey. And we have to remember as parents that, hey, I haven't arrived and neither have my kids. Okay? So kids, don't feel like this voice of condemnation, please. Your parents still struggle with this. Let's struggle together instead of against one another in this. Although hopefully our parents are farther along the road than we are, so we should be able to help our kids. But you recognize that. But children, do you pray for the grace you need to obey those in authority over you? If you're in school, do you pray for the the grace you need to obey your teacher as well as your parents? To obey the principal? There ought to be something that occupies our prayers. Grace that we might grow in obedience because we're growing in grace. Additionally, in Ephesians chapter 6, We see the promise. Paul says that this commandment from the Ten Commandments is the first one that comes with a promise. And so Paul is is reminding them of this to encourage them. There's some good stuff that's going to come out of this. You might not think this way because obedience usually means that you want something you think is good and your parents are saying no. Okay. God says, there's good that will come of this. The specific promise given to the Israelites was that they would live long in the land, that it would go well with them, and that they would live long in the land. And so, learning obedience early means that often there is less discipline long-term. You know, um, this little girl... In Walmart, by her repeated nose, okay, it wasn't just one, it just kept going on for a while. She's storing up wrath, so to speak. She might not get it there in the produce aisle, but something is, that she's not going to like is going to happen. And when we persist in disobedience, the, the consequences get bigger, okay, over time we know that personally. In the the life of Israel, if the people, generally speaking, did not learn uh, obedience, what would happen is that their disobedience ultimately would mean removal from the land, exile, or execution. The scriptures talk about how uh, you could you could bring your rebellious son to the to the city gate, and the elders could could give him the death sentence. And we're not sure why that would happen. Uh, the scripture doesn't tell us. You know, I'm sure it wasn't just because they burped at the table, something like they didn't make their bed for the third day in a row. Okay, <laughs> that kind of thing. We're not sure, but it had to have been severe in order to bring a child to that point. And you know, it should likely be an older child, but still. Execution or exile, if that disobedience had so reached the, 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 the point of the whole community now was not living in obedience to God, but in disobedience to God, God was going to send Israel out, and they, in fact, he did. The northern kingdom in 722 uh, B.C. And the, and the southern kingdom in 586 B.C. God took it seriously, even though he was patient with these people, giving them many opportunities for repentance. We see this functioning in Romans 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them over to a debased mind to do that which ought not to be done. Bunch of sin, bunch of sin, bunch of sin. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, some more sins, and then disobedient to parents. And so one of the, the, the flags, so to speak, of a, of a community gone astray that has lost its vision of the gospel and its belief in the gospel is increasing disobedience amongst children that will eventually re- result in disobedient citizens. Yeah, parental obedience, that's a gospel issue, folks. And so for us, persistent disobedience today could mean excommunication from the church. You'll go to the elders, <laughs> and you might be excommunicated if you don't repent. Persistent disobedience today could mean job loss. If you don't learn how to submit, and we tell our children this periodically, not as often as we, as we should, but if you don't learn how to submit to proper authority, you're always going to be fighting with, a, with your boss. And guess what happens if you always fight with the boss? You have a new boss. And if you keep fighting with him, guess what? You have another new boss. That's not going well for you. God wants it to go well for you. And learning how to live under authority is one of those ways in which it will go well for you. Not only that, but there's a the reality of, of jail for some people. They don't learn how to live under authority, and so not only are they just disagreeable, but they're they do they commit crime and People like Nathan have to come find them. That was one of the. That was one of the. For Red Sox fans and people in the Boston area, one of the local sort of legends is Jerry Remy, who played for the Red Sox back in the '80s. And uh, Jerry's ha- has a son who has had some problems in the past, um, <clears throat> drug and steroid use, I think. Well, Jerry is, is now the broadcaster. He does the play-by-play, uh, color announcement for the Red Sox broadcasts. And this past weekend, his son crossed a line. And his son is charged with murder. And I'm pretty sure that the Remy parents tried to correct their son, tried to discipline their son. But the point is, he didn't listen as one who was under authority. And now he finds himself facing life in prison for murder. That's an extreme example. But that's the process. I need to finish this. So not only that, but relationship issues. You can't get along with people. You're going to always have relationship problems. Children naturally struggle with authority. they are vipers who used to be in diapers. Um... Like that little girl in Walmart, we would all rather say no. But Jesus gives us a greater perspective on all of this. We learn to obey Him by learning to obey our parents. And we learn to treasure them as we treasure the peace, the Word, and the name of Christ. And so Jesus strengthens children and adult children as they trust Him and rely upon His promises. And you know what happens? I think of that Hebrews 13 thing. Such children make parenting a delight instead of a heartbreak. Let's pray. Father, indeed, this text finds us all. And this text reveals our great need for Jesus. Our great need for his righteousness. Righteousness. Our great need for his strength and empowerment. Our great need for him who lived in obedience to his earthly parents, who lived in obedience to his eternal Father. We need his help. And so we ask for it this morning that you would meet each of us where we are in this process. That you would send your spirit to prompt our confession of sin. To move in us towards greater obedience. To live out this reality as the new man in Christ. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.